1: What's up, gang? Hope you're having an awesome Thursday afternoon. My name is Clayton Bailey. Welcome into Packers Total Access. You can check us out on PackerNet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. Also, if you want to email the show, if you've got a comment, a question, or just some feedback, um, you can do that by sending an email to PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. Now, today on the show, we've got kind of a jam-packed show. We're going to try to try to go quick, but we've got a history segment. We've got a listener email that I think is actually going to be a good time. It's going to be very fun. i got a soundbite to go along with that. And then I'm going to end the show on a little bit of a rant. But before we do that, I just want to put a plug in for our giveaway guys. It's still up as of right now. Um, If you guys don't know, we're doing a, a Packers Rams Monday night football giveaway where we're giving away one indoor club seat to the Packers Rams game on December 19th. And um, like I said, it's an indoor club seat. It's going to be out of the elements. A really, really cool setting. Uh, it's going to give you a chance to uh, to kind of sit and watch a ball game with me and uh, and Jacob from Packernet Podcast. We're going to kind of hang out. Um, I just got confirmation as well that we do, along with that ticket, have a, a VIP tailgate party pass, which is going to be at a at a sports bar that's fairly close to Lambeau Field. Really, just right down the street. So uh, three hours before the game, you'll be able to get all you can eat, all you can drink. Um, that. That includes uh, a little bit of everything. The buffet last year was absolutely awesome when we went to the Seahawks game. So we—that's uh, seventy-five dollars in value right there. That VIP uh, tailgate ticket. So. It's a really cool setting too. There's, there's some kids in there. There's, uh, you know, there's adults having adult beverages, but it never gets too rowdy. Um, they got the big screen up with, uh, other games going on with it being a Monday night football game three hours before that. Obviously, local kickoff. You might be catching the tail end of, uh, yeah, you should be able to catch a, a lot of the four o'clock games. Uh, last year, what was cool was, when we went to the tailgate party, you know, we had a 4 o'clock kickoff, or well, 3.30 kickoff, I guess, uh, local time there. So we got to go to the tailgate party, enjoy some great food and drinks, and watch the 1 o'clock games on the big screens in there. So it was really, really cool. But with that being said, I'm going to add that into the uh, deal. I actually talked to uh, Ticket Event USA yesterday and locked down that. So that's just going to be a little extra. Guys, I'm overwhelmed with the support we got with this little uh, giveaway and and really it, it's awesome because it's going to provoke us to uh, um, you know it's going to going to make us want to do more of these and that's what we're going to do moving forward. We're going to do more giveaways. So we got some really cool stuff in the works with some sponsorship. I'm not going to spoil that. I'm going to let Ryan announce that when it's time. But we just got a lot of things. I just say this: things are looking very very up for uh, for the Packernet Podcast crew, and I, I couldn't be more proud to be a part of it. So um, again, to enter that contest, though. Um, you just got to go to my Twitter account at Packers underscore access. You'll see a tweet that's pinned to the top of the page. All you want to do is retweet that and make sure you're following the account. That'll get you one entry into the contest for any additional entries you want to add. We are actually uh, donating to a GoFundMe for Drew, uh, you know, getting his seizure service dog. We've already surpassed the goal. Now we're just kind of getting some extra gravy there to help him with supplies and things like that. I don't know how long, that portion of the contest is going to stay up. So if this is something that you've been thinking about entering, probably want to do it soon. It could end as soon as next week. You know, I don't know. I'm going to talk to Ryan and talk to Drew. Uh, we definitely don't want to uh – uh over promote that once we feel like he's got enough of a, a cushion there to get everything he needs for the seizure service dog but at the same time we want to give people the opportunity to enter the contest so for every five dollars you donate to that GoFundMe, that'll put you an extra an additional entry into the contest and and uh you know obviously the more money you donate the the better chance you've got to winning that raffle so um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that, and uh, with no, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the first segment, and it's a history segment, and I'm, I'm very excited about this. Uh, we've uh, heard a lot about this guy, and I bet many of the users don't know much about him, and uh, he's a, a guy that's at one time was known as the best guard in football, and that was August Mike Machowski. And for you guys who don't know, he played way back in the day, back in the uh, the early years. Uh, he actually was a guard from 1929 through 1935, and then again in 1937. And just a little bit about him, he was he was a guard, an offensive lineman. Think about this: six foot, 210 pounds, and he actually went uh, to college at Penn State. And I'm just going to kind of read this Cliff Crystal uh, article here where he really does a great job uh, outlining the career of Mike Machalski and exactly who he is and maybe a couple of, of stories here and there. But let's just jump right into it. It says, widely regarded as one of the greatest guards in the first 30 years of the NFL when rules limiting substitution required players to play both offense and defense. I mean, they actually had rules in place, guys, where... You could not substitute. I believe you had to be hurt to come off the field, and I don't even know if you were allowed to go back on the field if you left hurt, which really um, kind of leads to you know that, that toughness of playing through injuries, and, and you hear about the old stories. But it says, Machowski was nicknamed Iron Mock and admired for his stamina and willingness to play a full 60 minutes. He and Cal Hubbard were the anchors of the Packers' line. Uh, they won three straight NFL titles from 1929 to 31. Uh, Machowski was the smaller of the two, but faster and more agile. Offensively, he used those attributes to pull and lead plays to spot the, the then-common tight splits, which called for linemen to position themselves almost shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with the player next to them. On defense, Machowski was known as a deadly tackler and one of the first linemen to play a knifing, slicing style and run plays down before they developed. While it was unorthodox and left him vulnerable at times to straight-ahead runs, he was so quick he could tell a guard from the opposite side and tackle the ball carrier before he reached the line of scrimmage. Gambler or not, Machowski was virtually a coach on the field and rarely outsmarted. Thanks to his speed, another of his strengths was his punt coverage. At a time when punters often dominated the game, guys, I want to I want to pause here for a second. Tell you a quick story. I was listening to a podcast the other day, or no, it was a it was a documentary, and they said the punting game was considered so important. Um, In in football back then, if I understood the, the story correctly, they said that some teams would win the toss or get first possession, however the rules of the time dictated that, and they would immediately punt the ball. Think about that they got first possession and they would immediately punt the ball to pin the other team back and try to play try to win the field position game uh, right off the bat and kind of put the pressure on that way you know it's so amazing how the game has changed over the years it's really really cool but back to Machowski. the most memorable play of machalski's career was when he returned in interception 80 yards for a touchdown as the Packers beat the Chicago Bears six to two in one of their biggest victories in route to winning the nineteen thirty one NFL Championship. I would put him down in my book as the best guard bar none I ever saw. Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Benny Friedman said more than a decade after Machowski retired. Machowski was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1964 as a member of the second class to be honored in Canton. He was as great let me let me say this for a second, guys. For the very first class was, I know Curly Lambeau was in it, and I believe Don Hudson was in it as well. The, the very second class, right? The next class, here you got Machowski being entered into I believe there were other Packers that were entered in, into the, the second class of the Hall of Fame as well, because I remember doing a history segment and talking about that. But it says, quote, he was as great as any football player Green Bay ever had, said former teammate and fellow Pro Football Hall of Famer Johnny Blood. He had very... Uh, very fast reflexes. He would start moving before his opponent. That was his chief asset besides his tremendous fighting spirit. The Packers announced Machowski's signing on September 4th, 1929 after his former team, the New York Yankees, had folded. I did not know that. That's cool. Machowski had played for the Yankees in 1926 um, when they were members of the first American Football League, which lasted one year, and also in 1927 and 28 when they moved to the NFL. He retired in 1936 to become a basketball coach and an assistant football coach at Lafayette College. In 1937, Machowski returned to the Packers as player and line coach, roles he had also played also had field in 1935, but appeared in only six games due to a back injury. On August 8, 1938, Machowski asked Coach Curly Lambeau for his release so he could join Blood's coaching staff in Pittsburgh. So he followed Johnny Blood to Pittsburgh to coach football alongside him. Um, Machowski played in 94 games for the Packers and started 69 all at guard. Machowski served as a line coach at St. Norbert College. You guys know the history and, and ties of St. Norbert College to the Packers and being their uh, training camp uh, uh, dorms for so long um, from 1940 to 1941 head coach at Iowa State from 1942 to 46, and an assistant coach with the Baltimore Colts of the all america Football Conference in 1949. From 1950 through 56, Machowski worked as an assistant coach at Baylor, Texas A&M, and Texas. He also remained close to the Packers. Machowski scouted for them in 1947 and continued to file scouting reports on draft prospects while he was coaching college football and in retirement. He was born on April 24, 1903 in Cleveland, Ohio, given the name August Machowski. His nickname was Mike for Iron Mike and uh, died October 26, 1983, at the age of 80. And that article was by Cliff Crystal. The thing that stands out to me, guys, and coming away from this segment and what I've learned about Mike Machowski, I knew he was a great guard. I knew he was undersized. I knew he was one of Curly Lambo's go-to guys, right? I had no idea that he joined the coaching staff with Johnny Blood, and I had no idea that he spent that much time in football after his playing career had ended. I mean, that just shows when a player goes on to coach that long at so many different locations... There's only one thing that comes to mind. He absolutely loved the game of football. And now we know why he is so beloved in the Packer community and considered one of the greatest of all times to uh, to suit it up there for the green and gold. So there's your history segment. Um, it was kind of quick, but man, that was straight to the point. Cliff Crystal does such good work. And uh, that was really, really cool. Come away with a little more respect for Mike Machowski for sure. So, um, with that being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to pay some bills, and then we're going to get back and answer an email or two. And I've got a little bit of a rant to 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 uh, to take a take a shot or two at the uh, the Milwaukee media. I know it's shocking, right? Clayton's taking a shot at the media, but that's what's about to happen. So first, let's pay some bills with some ads. And uh, I want to say this, guys: thank you for taking the time to sit through the ads. So many times I listen to podcasts and I didn't enjoy it because there, my God, there's so many commercials here. There's so many commercials. It's a necessary evil when it comes to podcasting. Okay, and we really, really appreciate you uh, dealing with it as we move forward because as the show grows, that's going to be the lifeblood um, alongside the listeners is is advertising. And and I just want to say that so many podcasters I think just kind of let it go unnoticed and they just well they can listen to the ad. Now they people don't have to. And we appreciate the fact that that you guys are uh, accepting that it's a it's a necessary inconvenience. So uh, thanks again for that. And like I said, let's just take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us.
1: All right, let's jump into an email here from a listener. And, and guys, you, you 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 guys have been lighting up the emails, and it's so appreciated. Thank you for taking the time to reach out to the show. This comes from Chuck in Fairbanks. I'm not sure exactly where Fairbanks is, but it says, Great show, Clayton. I have a question with a question to go along with it. Uh, first, have you seen the video of New York Jets rookie wide receiver Garrett Wilson finding out about his rookie hazing? If not, you need to watch it, for it's hilarious. Uh, You mentioned on a past show that you played baseball, and I was curious, do you have a story of hazing rookies? If not, do you have a favorite NFL rookie hazing story? I feel like it's appropriate going into training camp. Thanks so much for your hard work, especially on the history segments. Awesome. All right, Chuck, thank you so much for the email. You know what I'm going to do to kind of set the stage here? I'm going to see if I can grab that video real quick and play the audio of what he's talking about. Because I did indeed hear that Garrett Wilson uh, video. So here is here is the audio and uh, check it out for yourself. Dinner. They did tell me about the dinner. I got to take all the receivers to a dinner. That's going to be cool. I'm excited for that. It's not going to be cool. You know they're going to run that bill up like 75000 Oh yeah, what you mean like the the, the Louis the thirteenth you gonna have to buy at the restaurant? I'm, nah, they ain't, they ain't doing me for seventy five K. I ain't gonna fake it. no, nah, no, nah, nah. it's the they, rookie dinner. It's all of y'all. You the tip pick of the draft too? They know you got twenty guarantees. Wait, what you say, rookie dinner? It's, he thinks what it. He thinks it's his decision. <laughs> <laughs> that was so cute. It was so cute. Man, when you listen to something like that, it really it makes you miss your playing days, no matter what sport it was, any kind of team sport. I just love it. He thinks it's his decision, and then they go, it's so cute. It's so cute. It's hilarious. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad you did, Chuck, because I try not to show or, or play things on here or tell stories on here that doesn't pertain to the Green Bay Packers, but when a listener requests it, hey, it gives me all the right in the world to do it, and I thought it was hilarious. So um, to answer your question, um, as far as hazing, uh, I really don't have a favorite hazing story that comes to mind. Um, you know, as far as the NFL and this and that. I mean, I, I remember the video if you guys haven't seen of Aaron Rodgers. It was a, it was a bit they did on ESPN with Kenny Mayne, and uh, they actually had uh, TJ Lang was a rookie that year, the offensive lineman, and he was having to do a talent show, and he was up there with a with a head of cabbage doing what you know he was calling the cabbage patch you know dancing and he's like me he's 110 percent caucasian he, he cannot cannot move at all right and aaron throws a head of lettuce or cabbage at him and hits him right in the mouth it is hilarious so if you get a chance to watch that but from my personal experience i'll tell you this it, it actually sprung a nickname for me my freshman year um as i stepped into high school right and uh you got to keep in mind, I never got haze on the baseball team because I was actually already on the baseball team in seventh grade and it was a small school. So try to stay with me here. Basically, I was already playing some varsity high school games when I was in seventh grade. And, uh, you know, I had showed a little bit of talent. I do some pinch running, things like that. So by the time I got to my freshman year, I had already been starting on the varsity somewhat, not every game, you know, a minute amount of games. But, you know, the the, uh, the upperclassmen knew me well. We were all friends. And, and to be honest with you, I grew up in a biker family, right? So I was around. It was normal for me to go to a biker field meet. And there'd be 500 bikers in this field in Fayette County, Kentucky, right? And I'm not proud to say everything that went on at those parties. But I learned at an early age that uh, you kind of, you got to learn where to fit in and you keep your mouth shut. You know, I was taught at an early age you don't make eye contact with people. So, I say all that because um and, and it sounds silly, right? Because every people skill book says you to, tells you to make good eye contact, especially when making deals, but it was just the way I was raised was kind of keep to yourself and 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 don't be a loud mouth and all that. Um, So when I stepped into you know uh, playing playing on the high school team at an early age I kind of knew how to act just from my childhood right and just how to fit in and and if somebody did try to haze you or something You just kind of I took it as a badge of respect. It was about being a part of the team I was never one of those guys. that was kind of a sore loser in that regard So with that being said, I never got really hazed But I will tell you this my freshman year outside of the baseball team That is my freshman year in high school some senior football players approached me right and you know they would write freshmen in marker It was about as bad as I seen. I seen some guys try to resist and they got stuffed into a garbage can right but some football you know players uh, one of which played baseball as well he approached me and they wrote you know uh, a big F on my forehead with a marker right as a freshman and I was cool with it I'm like hey man it is what it is there's other freshmen running around like that it's just a part of it right you know I don't I want to fit in with these people and I want to earn their respect and the worst, you're never going to earn someone's respect by just being a crybaby, right? Or, or, you know, yeah, it could come to a fist fight, but what's the point, right? It, you know, they're not going to earn your respect that way, in my opinion. So anyway, long story short, this guy puts an F on my forehead. And there was a senior girl that actually uh, approached me and said, who wrote that on your forehead? And I, and I was going, I was, at first I was embarrassed. I was like, oh God, dude, this, now that, I get it now. This is embarrassed. So I told her who it was, just joking, like, no, he's cool, man, and he was a football player. Well, she went to him later that day and said, hey, just want you to know that freshman Clayton is off limits, no hazing him, right? And I found out later the reason was she had a little, you know, crush or whatever, right? Senior girl with a freshman guy, that's kind of a big deal, right? You puff your chest out a little bit. So she, she goes and tells him, but... This is what she said to him when she said it. She said, hey, just so you know, Clayton, Sweet Cheeks, he's off limits. So you would think, oh, that's awesome. She vouched for you. No. Now everybody started calling me Sweet Cheeks in the school, right? So that becomes my nickname as a freshman. And I'll never forget, I had JROTC class with this senior. And I walked in that day and, or it was, you know, a few days later and he goes, hey, Sweet Cheeks. And I'm like, you know okay yeah what's up man you know and i just kind of laugh it off just like i was telling you how you handle the haziness part of it too right and uh and I immediately, you know, throw the people skills into effect. And I'm like, Yeah, man, I hope I have a jawline like you someday, dude, because I is these, you know, these baby chicks suck, because I had a fat face. I was a short, fat freshman. I say fat. I was an athlete, but you know how it is, you hadn't hit that growth spurt yet as a freshman. So me being the naive freshman that I was, right, I'm thinking they're talking about my face. Well, one of the girls that was in the class that was friends with the senior girl, she says, Oh, we're not talking about your face. Oh, my God, you're talking about embarrassed, right? Because, you know, the last three, four years, I'm doing pickups and practice and lunges and things like that. So you're built like a baseball player, you know? I mean, let's be honest. That's that's what girls talk about in high school. So it was just funny that um, moving forward, my nickname became Sweet Cheeks. And I was so naive on so many levels, I didn't even understand what it meant until they explained it. And of course, when she says that in front of the senior guys, everybody busts out laughing again. But it's pretty cool. Through ROTC, up through my senior year, Sergeant Major Day, who was actually my my uh, ROTC teacher, actually said, you know, he he called me that. Sweet Cheeks. So, pretty cool story, pretty funny. Man, it's awesome going down memory lane. So I hope that answers your question, Chuck. Again, I, I don't really have a favorite hazing, uh, you know, as far as a, a football. I guess, well, I guess the Aaron Rodgers story was funny, although it was a bit and it was all planned. It wasn't really hazing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I kind of like that tradition, though. I know we're stepping into a time where that stuff is frowned upon, and in no way, shape, or form do I think someone should be bullied or or uh, mistreated for the way they look, whether it's whether it's race or, or, you know, the body shaming and everything else that goes on today. I I will say this, that when I graduated in the year 2000, and again, you guys know I tried out for a couple of colleges to play baseball, I uh, I would not trade my high school years for anything. Maybe it was because the home life was a little bit rough, and I really enjoyed getting away from that and getting around my friends and around the baseball team and everything. But uh, uh, I, I'm telling you, man, we had an awesome, awesome group of people. Yes, there were f- uh, fights in school, and yes, there were disagreements and all that. But for the most part, man, we did not have to deal with, with the stuff that you're dealing with today and all of the division. It was just a, a much simpler time. But uh, again, Chuck, thank you so much for the email, man. Hope that answered your question. Yes. Yeah, so now everybody's going to be tweeting at me, calling me Sweet Cheeks. So probably should have just kept my mouth shut. All right, on to the next segment. I wanted to address something that uh, that I actually heard. I was listening to a podcast, and uh, it's out of Milwaukee. Uh, I'm just going to say the name. Mark Chamura is on this podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I do enjoy listening to that show for the most part. But there are so many times you just what I'm finding is most media outlets out of Milwaukee when they cover the Green Bay Packers they just seem bitter man and it sucks because there's so many great personalities like you know I make the comment all the time I've tweeted at Sparky um you know with uh with the show there with Leroy Butler and uh, I think it's Gary Ellison Ellison I believe is his name um but Leroy is so positive and it's just that the Sparky is always so negative, and it's like, do you even like the Green Bay Packers? Because it 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 just seems like it's such a pain in his you know what to even have to talk about them. And what I'm finding is the same thing kind of holds true with Mark Chamura. He gets excited when he talk tells stories about his playing days, but it just it's so seldom that you hear something positive. They they bash Rodgers, they uh, bash Lafleur somewhat. They, they, it's just like constantly something. Well, the conversation got to talking about Adrian Amos just the other day. Right. And, uh, he was just basically, you know, the, the first part of the conversation, he was just talking crap about Adrian Amos and how he's just another guy. Essentially, right, and then someone said something along the lines, "Well, no, you know, he's graded out." He he says something like, "What makes Amos special?" What well, I don't understand. He's not, you know, this. And that. he said, "Well, you know, he grades out high on PFF." And Chewy cuts him off and says, "You know, PFF. Wait, you know, what's PFF? What what does PFF know?" And like started downplaying Pro Football Focus. And one of the other guys said, "Well, you know, Chris Collinsworth is involved with it." And Chewy's just kind of like, "Well, so, uh, okay." Well, first of all, Chris Collinsworth, whether you like him or not. He's at the top of his field in NFL broadcasting. He's been behind way, way more doors than Mark Chamora has, right? And uh, he's uh, also uh, just so happens he's on the All Bengals team, right? And I know everybody go, oh, it's the Bengals, but still, is a guy that that was is considered one of the best uh, to play wide receiver for an NFL franchise. Okay, I mean that says enough for me personally. All right. And, you know, he went on to argue about this. Then he tried to walk it back a little bit. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's just a guy. He's just, you know, kind of, he's, he's solid, whatever. And then they said, well, he's, you know, he's pretty good in coverage. And he says, what, does he play man coverage? And I'm like, you have no idea what you're even talking about. How in the world someone had played, you know, as many years as he did in the NFL and then come out and talk about football and then try to judge a strong safety in Joe Barry's defense, which is mostly a quarters coverage defense, and say, what is, well, how, how, how is he in man coverage? It's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. But to downplay and foo-foo PFF, and this always cracks me up when people do it, because typically all you got to do is go, what don't you like about it? Well, it's just analytics. It's just analytics. You have no clue what you're talking about. Okay, so here, here's what I want to do. I want to take a second and explain um, PFF. Okay, just for a second, because I know there's listeners that probably agree with Chewy, right? But here's the thing: if you don't understand how it even works, how can you bash it? All right. So this is this is from their homepage. Here. It says, "What we do: the PFF grading system evaluates every player on every play during a football game. We believe that every play counts." and that attention to detail provides insights and data that cannot be found anywhere else. The uh, grading system was founded on the principle of grading production rather than traits or measurables, but perhaps a better way to describe it is a player's contribution to production on a given play. I want you to think about this, guys. What they're saying is this production grading system, it's based off of how coaches grade players, Week in and week out. I'm not saying these are coach level graders here. Okay. We don't, I don't, I don't know every employee that works for Chris Collinsworth and PFF, but it's, it's based around how coaches actually grade players. Okay. It said, did the quarterback make a great throw, but it was dropped. The quarterback contributed to positive production and will receive a positive grade for that effort even though the receiver let him down earning a negative grade along the way the benefits of this style of grading are numerous taking every play into consideration allows for a larger sample size of data to tell the proper story rather than just a highlight reel of plays that we tend to remember for better or worse uh, we also work to eliminate bias by not not caring about the level of player who is being graded so whenever uh, it's the so whether it's the best tackle in the league missing a block or one of the worst the same grade is given uh, preconceived level of ability has no impact on the grading system this style has worked well in unlocking undervalued gems through the years while also not being swayed by player hype if it is undeserved once you think of Rashawn Gary and how PFF was showing how he was tracking progress, tracking progress, and everybody was saying he was a bust, he was a bust, and all of a sudden, boom, he blows up. That's why Ryan and other people who, and, and I love Ryan's stance. Ryan's like, PFF isn't everything. It's just a good tool, right? It's another tool in the back. And he was one saying Rashawn Gary's the real deal because he was kind of wrong on him coming out of the draft. It's just, and I was the same way. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the draft pick, going, "What the crap?" And then I'm watching the PFF grade every every year. I'm going to hold- this dude looks like he's progressing. He's gonna be a stud. Lo and behold, he's a stud. Now everybody's got him all over their list, right? He's in the top ten edge rushers. It's amazing how that works. But it says the grading scale, each player is given a grade of negative two to plus two in 0.5 increments on a given play, with zero generally being the average or quote expected grade. There are a few exceptions as each position group has different rules, but those are the basics. The zero grade is uh, important as most plays feature many players doing their job uh, at a reasonable or expected level so not every play player or on every play, needs to earn a positive or a negative. At one end of the scale, you have a catastrophic game-ending interception or pick six from a quarterback, and at the other, a perfect deep bomb in a tight window in a critical game situation. So they're going to show the scale here, and I'm going to read this off, and then I'm going to get to my point with Adrian Amos, okay? And it's funny because I'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> it's going to be – it's 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 really cool uh, twist of the plot here, I guess you could say. But think about – um, think back to the the huge play by Dave Robinson back in the Lombardi days. Okay, they're down in Dallas. They're playing the Cowboys. I think at the Cotton Bowl. This was the year before the Ice Bowl, and Dave Robinson makes a break on uh, quarterback uh, Roger Staubach. Okay, or was it? No, it was Dom Meredith. I'm sorry, Don Meredith. So he he makes a break on the play when that when the ball is snapped. Uh, Dave Robinson kind of kind of jumps to. He pops outside. And he goes after him. He says that wasn't even his assignment. So he's scrambling after Don Meredith. Don Meredith is is getting pressured and not expecting Dave Robinson to be there because, hint, hint, he wasn't supposed to be. Dave Robinson broke his scheme and made the play. So as Don Meredith said in in famous fashion, and and Don Meredith is one of the most colorful announcers and football players in the history of the league, he said, I just hit the guy that was open. He threw an interception in the back of the end zone. Now, after the game, this is why I tell this story. Dave Robinson says after the game, Vince Lombardi gave him a minus two on the play. That sound familiar? So here's the scale, okay? Even though he, you know, in the highlight reel, it's, wow, Dave Robinson won the game. But Lombardi knows within the scheme he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He got a negative grade for it. That's how this system is is created and supposed to work so on the scale ironically it's a brett Favre pass which i think is hilarious but the negative two on the scale so let's start at the zero right in the middle okay imagine it's zero and then it goes negative to the left positive to the right um starting at the zero going positive to the right a 0.5 says a well-thrown short pass then it goes 1.0 1.5 and then a plus two at the plus two it says Super Bowl whatever it was Eli Manning incredible throw to Mario Manningham on the game-winning drive If you guys remember that he threaded the needle with that pass we're not talking about the helmet catch we're talking about the Mario Manningham catch they gave that a plus two because it was a clutch moment It was uh, absolutely perfectly placed ball. It was the right decision. Everything about it was a perfect play. You got a plus two. Now let's start back at zero and go negative. Negative 0.5, negative one, negative 1.5. It says an awful throw that should be or is intercepted. Whether it was intercepted or not, it would get a negative 1.5 because it should have been intercepted. And you look at the stat column, guys. If the pick was dropped, all you're seeing is an incompletion. But at PFF, you're getting a huge, huge hit on your PFF grade, which really tells the story in my opinion. Now at negative two, all the way maxed out in the red, it says 2009 NOC Championship, the game uh, the game on the line, field goal range, Brett Favre throws across his body for an INT. I just think that's beautiful because that, he was with the Vikings and we all know I don't think I celebrated that hard and that loud um, for any Packer play um, and uh, than I did when he threw that interception with the Vikings. I just just screamed it out of my lungs. Now you know how it feels. (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to lay that out because people don't understand how PFF works. They just like to bash it. And it's the reason that I like to depend on it most of the time when getting a true assessment of what has the team done. What have the individual players done? Now, a lot of the argument that people say... Um, is it says, you don't know the play call. How many times have you heard people say that about PFF? Well, they don't – it's funny, Pat McAfee actually said that on his show. He said, yeah, but these guys don't actually know what was being coached up in the locker room and and their weekly game plan and what the coaches actually told them to do. You don't know – you're exactly right. We don't know all the little nuances, but the closest thing we can get is – to try to determine what was their assignment. I'm okay with PFF screwing up a handful of these because they didn't actually know the assignment, the defense sugared real well, and we don't know what the play call actually was, right? But 90% of the time, you can tell what the play call was. You could tell if a guy was supposed to sit in the mid-zone. You could tell if a guy was, was supposed to blitz the A-gap. You could tell these things, Right? But this segment says, or this section says, you don't know the play call. We are certainly not in the huddle, but we're grading what a player attempts to do on a given play. While football is extremely nuanced regarding the preparation and adjustments that go into each play call, once the ball is snapped, most players are clear in what they're trying to accomplish on each play, and we evaluate accordingly. Of course, there are always some gray areas in football, plays in which there's a clear question mark regarding assignment. We can defer to a zero grade, and not guess as to which player is right or wrong. These plays are... Few and far between, and since we are guarding every snap, missing out on a handful throughout the year should not affect the player evaluations. Examples of potential gray areas include coverage bus, quarterback-slash-wide receiver miscommunications, and blocking assignments. Because they're not in their head and knowing exactly what the play was. Did the quarterback screw up? Did a receiver screw up uh, on the mental error? And I just think it's cool that they're transparent like that. And on the Pat McAfee show, when Pat was talking about that, He brung it up to Chris Collinsworth, and Chris Collinsworth's response was beautiful. He said, you should come down here to HQ and just see what we do sometime. And it's funny, I haven't heard McAfee bash it since, right? Now, it wasn't too long ago that that interview took place, but I just think it's important. Now, let's go back to Adrian Amos, all right? His grade last year was a 74.7. Now that we've got a a basic understanding of how PFF grades, right? It was a 74.7. So when you go to his defensive grades um, throughout the year, right? Um, he was, he was, his strength was definitely tackling. Okay. His best coverage grade came against the Seahawks. I was there at that game and he balled out 90.9 was his coverage grade. There was not another game the rest of the year where his coverage grade was more than a 70 uh, uh, that reached into the 80s. The only time he broke the 80s on coverage grade was 90.9. Uh, now, as we all know, in that quarter's coverage, a lot of times the way that Joe Barry has them played is they have some freedom to fly underneath and take underneath routes, right? And the result of that is you get a lot of tackling opportunities. So with Adrian Amos, there was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 games last year of 18 weeks, 17 games played, right? 11 games he scored above an 80 in tackling PFF grade. So it shows you what his role really was, was he was that guy playing in the box and flowing to the football. That was his top priority, okay? But the reason I bring this up, as Chewy is bashing this guy, along the way, he says, well, what does PFF know? I'm going to tell you right now, PFF agrees with you, you idiot. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. His overall grade for the year was a 74.7. And at the end of the argument, the way Chewy described Adrian Amos was, I mean, he's a solid player, but he's nothing great. Last year, he wasn't. Now, if you look at his career as a whole, that's where you're getting into the real value of Adrian Amos. I mean, going back to his rookie year in 2015, a 69.6. 2016 a 73.2 2017 90.9 this is with the bears 2018 took a little step back but still an 82.9 and then in 2019 he signed with the packers first year in a new scheme 76.5 2020 absolutely broke out with an 89.4 defensive grade and it took a slight step back with the arrival of Joe Barry last year to 74.7 we've seen the th- same thing with Darnell Savage so the thing that gives me hope with uh, Darnell Savage is the fact that both safeties took a slight step back they still played great don't get me wrong that's not a bad grade but it's not nowhere near his 89.4 the year before but I think these safeties are going to come out this year and play a lot better, a lot more comfortable in this scheme. But going to the coverage grade, guys, in, two, in 2020, he had a 91.5 coverage grade. It, last year, he had a 74.1. So, Chewy was right in his assessment. When I go back and listen to it now, I'm like, wow, you know what? He described it pretty pretty perfectly now he backed off on it a little bit at the end because I think he he was getting some looks around the uh around the booth there right around the studio going are you serious Adrian Amos is a solid player so he backed off a little bit but for the most part he described it accurately the funny part the ironic part is he went on to bash PFF but once again here's another scenario where PFF proves that someone played a certain way and it's accurate you know, it's, it's like I was talking about when the coaches will come out and they'll – I've heard Matt LaFleur do it twice. And he said, yeah, you know, they'll be talking about a specific player. You know, he seemed to play well this Sunday. What did you think about him? Yeah, he he graded out as our best player this week. I would immediately go sprint into PFF and go, who was the top graded Green Bay Packer this game? I'll be darned. It was him. So their grades seem to line up. You know, Aaron Rodgers being the MVP last year, awesome PFF grade. Right, Joe Burrow. Everybody talk about how Joe Burrow was poised in the pocket and how he he, he you know he played really, really well last year. He had the top PFF grade of any quarterback. Now, if you just tried to grade Burrow off to the side and you ask Burrow, is he a top five quarterback, I guarantee you if there were no PFF, everyone would go, ah, I wouldn't say he's top five. He might be top 10. He's probably closer to top 15. But lo and behold, why, how did they get to the Super Bowl then? So just average quarterback play, the rest of that Bengals roster is loaded? No. The most important position on the field is quarterback. And Joe Burrow graded out as the best quarterback in the entire National Football League, according to PFF. Time and time again, these players' grades match with what you see on the field. Period. And it's almost time for people to stop hating so much on PFF just because they don't like Chris Collinsworth. I get you. He gets on my nerves, too. The The amount of times in the game that he calls it, I have to hear, let me tell you, this guy right here, here we've got a guy. The way he says guy just drives me insane. I get it. But the guy knew what he was – there, I just used it. That's hilarious. Chris Collinsworth knew what he was doing when he purchased PFF. Um, because this is I, – I just love the fact that someone thought outside of the box and said, you know what, if this is how the coaches are actually grading the players – why don't we start to try to duplicate that and provide a database for fans to have their hands on them almost immediately following the game? You know, it's just a couple of days after the game, the grades hit. I One of my favorite things about Ryan's Packernet podcast is when the grades would be released and he would read it off and give you kind of the story behind the story as far as how players performed the week before. So I thought it was important to hit on that, man. That's something that, that's important to me, and it's definitely the uh, – the uh, the website that I depend on the most when it comes to what actually happened on the field and how did players perform. All right, as we get you guys out of here on a Thursday afternoon, uh, the, the big story that, that uh, you know, kind of connected with me or at least caught my attention throughout the National Football League is the Terry McLaurin uh, contract. As you guys know, he uh, he, he kind of held out, and, and there was rumors that he was going to be traded. I know uh, Leroy Butler and a couple other media guys were saying that they thought that Green Bay had a legit shot of trading for him and, and things like that. And um, when I looked at it, I never really felt like um, there was a true chance of landing him, but I did kind of hold out some hope because Terry McLaurin, you know, he did play really well. He's, uh, he's one of those solid wide receivers in the league. You know, when he came in the league, I felt like he kind of caught the rest of the league off guard. He he scored an 85.7 there his rookie year. And then in 2020, he scored a 78.0. And in 2021, a 78.3. So he has somewhat, uh, you know, kind of plateaued there. And and I don't mean, you know, I don't say plateau in a negative manner. I mean, that's good. He's showing consistency. So uh, was he worth the contract? That's the question, right? Um, You know, when you look at the new contract, it's going to be a three-year extension worth $23.3 million in new money. Uh, it says Ian Rappaport reported on Tuesday. The deal comes with a total of $53.15 million in guarantees, $34.6 million fully guaranteed upon signing, and a $28 million signing bonus, uh, Rappaport added. McLaurin was set to enter the final year of his contract with a base salary of $2.79 million in 2022. Now, all the details aren't released on Spotrack yet, but they did update it today, and it says Terry McLaurin signed a three-year, $70 million contract with the Washington Commanders, including a $28 million signing bonus, 53.1 guaranteed, and an average salary... Uh, annual salary of 23.3 million in 2022 mclaurin will earn a base salary of 2.7 while carrying a cap hit of 3.0 million dollars so basically the three-year extension was for 70 million dollars when you break that down what they're essentially saying is it should average out the extension itself should average out to 23.3 million but the way that i look at that and i look at things different he's on the books this year too so I feel like you've got to extend that over the four years. I mean, you're getting to play this year, and you're only adding an additional however much it is, so I feel like that is actually a little lower. Now, with that being said, would I be happy that Green Bay Packers sign him to that contract? I don't know if I would, to be honest with you. Um, I feel like they overpaid a touch. Now, if he, if he jumps into the 80s as far as PFF grade this year, then, yes, it's worth it. He's going to continue to go up and kind of show that, you know, kind of how Devontae Adams did. It just seemed like he got better and better and better every single year. But, guys, I'm always nervous and scared uh, when a player signs a contract because you don't know if they're going to they're going to come out with the same intensity. You don't know if they're going to come out with the same motivation. You know, it always kind of worries me when it, when it comes to new contracts. You know, you've really got to have a, a good judge of someone's character. Now, Terry McLaurin seems to be that guy, though. But at the same time, it's like – Would I want twenty three point three million dollars, or whether it drops down to eighteen, or whatever it is, uh, you know, tying up in tied up in one player? Not at the receiver position, absolutely not. If it was an elite position, absolutely. If it was left tackle, if it was edge rusher, or quarterback, pay top dollar. But when it comes to wide receiver, that is not an elite position to me. I don't even know if it's tier two, to be honest with you guys. I really don't. Uh, For me, it's like. Outside of that top tier, the rest, I kind of look at them on that even playing field. I really do. Now, center, I hold, uh, the you know, the center position, I hold pretty high. I, I definitely would put that in tier two, hands down. It's kind of at the top of tier two because the center's got to be on the same page with the quarterback. He's got to be able to handle the pressure of touching the ball every single offensive snap of the game, right? And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think nose tackle, the guy who's playing closest to the ball, you see how effective Aaron Donald can be. If you've got a, a player that's elite caliber and they're playing that close to the snap of the football, every single defensive play, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. I wouldn't put cornerback in that tier i I would put them in tier two i wouldn't put them at the top of tier two because i feel like you can kind of scheme around certain things there's very few teams that have you know a a a great multitude of wide receivers and i think you can kind of scheme your way into defending great receivers um now not not the awesome ones but for me uh that tier two definitely consists of center nose tackle and middle linebacker in my opinion we're we're finally getting a taste of what it's like to have a good middle linebacker in Devondre Campbell. And I was going to use a segment of this episode to kind of break down Devondre Campbell. Maybe I'll save it for the next episode that I do. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really excited to see uh, how he plays under this new contract. And he's a perfect example of what I just talked about. You don't know if a player is going to play more motivated or with the same motivation once they get the bag, right? I think Devondre Campbell's that guy because he came in and he's a leader on the team and you could tell that he loves to study, he loves to kind of set the example. I that little bit of nervousness I had with him signing his new contract extension completely went out the window when I heard Quay Walker talk about Devondre Campbell and how he carries himself. And I heard how Matt LaFleur talks about Devondre Campbell and how he handles himself. I just I think it's a, a great signing. And again that's in that that uh that second tier of players, top tier edge rusher left tackle or right tackle if you're a lefty qb that's just so rare i I hardly mention it so uh, left tackle edge defender and quarterbacks in the top tier in that second tier you've got center nose tackle and middle linebacker in my opinion so um, with that being said that's the show guys i'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up right there Uh, i thought it was a fun episode i hope i didn't bore you too much with the high school talk but uh, an emailer asked so i thought it'd be a, a cool story to tell um again Uh, I may go from being known as the redneck fanalist for Packernet Podcast to uh, sweet cheeks, and both of those are fine with me. Although, when you're 39 years old, those cheeks ain't as sweet as they used to be, (laughs) just being honest. But um, we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Thank you for your time. You could be listening to anything in the world, and you're choosing to to chill here with us, and we definitely appreciate it. But as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and Go Pack Go!